I used to work for a Rwandan organization called Africa New Life Ministries. It's an organization that was started by Rwandans in order to help with the development after the 94 genocide that took place there, where nearly a million people were killed in 100 days. Now, there's a whole history and story to tell with that genocide, more than we can get into today. But needless to say, it was a horrific period in that country's history. Well, in 2012, I was on my first trip to Rwanda. This picture was one of the first pictures I ever took when I was there. It's of a church and school that was holding a celebration that day because they had earned a gift from the Rwandan government and we were invited to attend. And it just felt like the whole community was there that day. You can't quite see, but where there's no wall up on that side of the hill, it was just full of people. Now, community is pretty important in Rwanda. People are dependent on one another. It's a sharp contrast to how we operate here in America. We often don't want to rely on others, and we don't want others generally to rely on us too much. One of the ways that community operates and functions together in Rwanda is through something that's called umuganda. Now, umuganda is a Rwandan word that means coming together for a common purpose. Umuganda is actually a national holiday in Rwanda that happens every single month. It's on the last Saturday of every month. And on that day, everybody in the country is required to perform community service from 8 to 11 in the morning. Here's a picture of one of my trips to Rwanda where I got to participate in Umuganda. You might be able to tell from the photo that we're clearing brush along the side of the road, which had become pretty overgrown. Now, I don't want to say that Umuganda is you know, great in all of its different ways. I'm sure that there are ways to criticize it but it demonstrates how Rwandan people come together to care for the community. And that I love about it because that kind of idea is the foundation of so much of the biblical story. And it's even what we see in the Lord's Prayer. So welcome. If you're joining us for the first time or for the first time in a little while, my name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here and we have been in this series on the Lord's Prayer called Learning to Pray. And we're learning from Jesus through the model prayer that he provided for his disciples. We've seen that we ought to be praying to God as a child because he's a loving father and to expect good things from him because he is that loving father. We've also seen when we pray this prayer, we are saying that our allegiance is to God and to his kingdom and that we are a part of embodying that kingdom in this world. And for generations, for thousands of years, followers of Jesus have been captivated by this prayer. They've memorized it. And in fact, we're asking you, if you already don't know it by heart, to memorize it and to pray it every day during the time of this series. Now, my daughter, Ruby, is going to be praying it for us now as we get started. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Great job, Ruby. 
there's structure and intentionality to this prayer. It's not just a bunch of random things that Jesus is putting together in this prayer, but they're, they're the most important things that we should be praying about. There's a well-known theologian who said, the Lord's Prayer stretches from the Father at the beginning to the devil at the end, from heaven to hell, and in between, in six brief petitions, everything important in life. Last week, John mentioned these six petitions with the Lord's Prayer. There are three that are focused on God's character and rule, and John covered those. And then there are three where we are asking God for something or help in some way. We're going to cover two of those today. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 11 and 12, which say, Give us today our daily bread, and forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, daily bread probably doesn't carry the same kind of meaning it did way back when Jesus said it. I mean, after all, you know, we've got our low-carb diets, we've got our Whole30, maybe we've decided to go gluten-free. Honestly, I'm on a GF diet right now. Gluten-full. I love my daily bread. But it's important to think about what this actually means. Over the centuries, the church has recognized three basic meanings to the daily bread. One, it's spiritual bread that refers to Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The symbolic way that we receive this bread is through the bread of communion. Two, it's the nourishing bread of the word of God. Jesus, when he was being tempted in the wilderness by the devil, responded to the temptation of physical food by saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And three, it refers to our physical daily needs. It isn't something that's just spiritual, and it isn't something that's just in the future. It's what we need today. Give us today our daily bread. And not literally just bread, but it's everything that's necessary for sustaining our lives. So more than food. A term that could be helpful here is breadwinner. A breadwinner isn't someone who just brings bread home. It's the person who provides everything that's needed for the whole family. You might even say that they're bringing home the bacon, too, to kind of mix up my metaphors a little bit. Bread doesn't really play the role in our lives that it did back then. So it's important to recognize that what we're praying for here covers more ground than just bread. But even with that understanding, you and I may very well struggle to connect with this part of the prayer. I've mentioned before that there were times in my life where we didn't have a whole lot of money. And I remember a particular segment of my life where I frequently ate mustard sandwiches. Do you know what a mustard sandwich is? It's bread and mustard. <laughs> we didn't have things like meat and cheese and peanut butter all the time. So it was mustard sandwiches. But honestly, like even in the poorest times when I was growing up, in my childhood, I never went hungry for a sustained period of time. There was always food to eat. 
I always had clothes to wear. And unlike everyone in my family at all times, I always had a roof over my head as well. But not everybody has that kind of experience where they always have a roof over their heads and they always have food that's provided for them. Prior to my ever working for that Rwandan organization, my wife, Steph, and I had already sponsored a child. Her name is Fiona. We started sponsoring her when she was, I think, nine years old, um, 12 years ago. And back then, she looked like she was five or six. This is a picture of Fiona on my first trip when I met her. She was 12 then. Being with her was always the highlight of every trip to Rwanda. She's 21 now, and we're still supporting her through college. Here's a current picture of her. And no, she's not miserably unhappy. It's just a cultural thing to not smile really big in pictures. Now for Fiona and her family, particularly before she was sponsored, the prayer for daily bread was a real one. Lord, today, will you please provide some food for us? They didn't have an abundance. They were just hoping for what they needed. I'm sure many of you sponsor kids all over the world through lots of different organizations, and that is great. You're helping to provide that daily bread for someone. So it may feel difficulty, though, for us to feel the urgency of praying for daily bread when many of us probably have multiple loaves of bread at home, which is unfortunate. Um, well, it's not unfortunate that we have multiple loaves, but it's unfortunate that we can't connect with this part of the prayer too much because the significant significance of this part of the prayer is so important to understanding who we are as humans in relationship to God. We are completely dependent on him daily. And whether we can see it or not, he is the one who is providing for all of our needs and sustaining us every day. Justo Gonzalez, a prominent church historian, said about this verse, Neither the poor who have nothing nor the rich who seem to have everything are ultimately in control of their future. Each day we depend on God for our life and sustenance. Recognizing our dependence on God is critical. But there's even more to this little phrase that, of the prayer that affects the way we live our lives. In the first week of the series, John talked about how this prayer is not just to my Father, but it is to our Father. Not just as an individual, but our Father collectively. It's prayed collectively and it's answered collectively. So when we pray, give us today our daily bread, we're not just saying provide for my needs. We're asking God to provide for our needs to the people I'm concerned about, either those who are really close to me, my friends and family, or even those who are not so close, like somebody else in the city. Father, provide for our needs. Here's where it starts to get more challenging. God has provided a lot, and many of us have an abundance. There's a difference between what we need and what is extra. What is extra for us may be a need for someone else. 
There's a parallel here in the story of the Israelites as they were rescued from Egypt and slavery. They were coming and they were traveling to the promised land. And in that period of time where they were in between, God provided for them in the wilderness bread. It was called manna. And the Israelites were to collect it every day. And each person was to collect just what they needed for that day. It says in Exodus, the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the Omer, that's just the measurement system there, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. God provided based on the needs of his whole group of people, the whole community. So in this community prayer, the Lord's Prayer, when we say, give us today our daily bread, we need to ask ourselves, what can I share from my abundance of bread, my extra bread, to give someone their daily bread, the bread that they need today? And we can pray for those opportunities too. Lord, help me to see where I can give some of my extra bread away today. This is the way that we care for others. Just as with Umuganda in Rwanda, there's a sense of community coming together to work together on the same purpose. We can not only pray for our daily bread, but we can help make it a reality for someone because the Lord's Prayer compels us to care for others. Now, when we look at the next line that we're looking at today, we see even more that the Lord's Prayer is concerned about how we relate to other people. It says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In this part of the prayer, we're asking for something, but we put a condition on ourselves. Lord, I'm in debt to you as a sinner. Would you forgive me in the same way that I have forgiven other people? As if to underscore this, Jesus, right after he says the Lord's Prayer, in verses 14 and 15, he adds an extra little something. It says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's a strong statement, and we're going to come back to that idea in just a little bit. But it, just for right now, to point out, it's a big part of caring for others, forgiveness. It's not an easy part, but it is an important part. So let's talk briefly just about the words that are being used here in this line of the prayer. When I was in junior high, I went to a Catholic school. And every morning, we prayed together from some standardized prayers like the Our Father. And each morning, a student got to choose you know, what prayer we were going to do for that day. Now, those prayers became embedded in my mind. I remember one of them was the Hail Mary prayer. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blesses the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of grace, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. I'm never going to forget it because we prayed it so much in school. Now, the, all, the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, was also one of those options, and I recited it as a child 
probably in a way that you're probably familiar with it as well. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, the way we've been saying it and memorizing it here during the series is forgive us our debts. So what is it? Debts or trespasses? Well, what's interesting here is that there is no Bible translation that I'm aware of that actually says, forgive us our trespasses. Instead, that's traditional language that's being brought in from those verses 14 and 15 that I already read later on. So here are those verses again in the English Standard Bible. It says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now, I don't want to get too hung up on all the words and language and all that kind of thing. But basically, there are multiple words that can convey the same or similar idea. So the word in the Lord's Prayer for debt is a phelema. And it it literally means a debt. It's something that's owed to somebody. The word in verse 14 for trespasses is paratuma, and it carries an image of taking a wrong step. Both are metaphorical language used for sin. Both are used in passages in the Bible where it's being connected with the most common word for sin, which is harmatia. But we shouldn't think of either of them exclusively literally. The Lord's Prayer is talking, that more, uh, is talking about more than just financial debt or obligation that we have with others. And a few ver- verses later, um, where Jesus is talking about trespasses, it's more than just trespassing on somebody else's property. In both cases, we need to think more broadly that it has to do with sin and wrongdoing and hurting other people. So what we have to forgive And what we're asking God to forgive of us is everything. It's every offense. It's every hurt. Which doesn't mean that you you keep forgiving that abusive person and putting yourself in, in an abusive situation. But it does mean releasing the debt that you feel is owed to you. Jesus had a great story about this that Matthew recorded later on in his gospel. It's typically called the parable of the unmerciful servant. And I'm going to give you the gist of that story right now. And while I'm doing that, you're going to be able to look at this image of a famous painting from the 16th century that depicts this story. And if you want to read it for yourselves later, you can find it in Matthew 18. Now, Jesus tells the story in response to a question from one of his disciples, Peter. Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus' response was, not seven times, but 77 times, which basically just means don't bother counting how many times you have to forgive your brother or sister. And then he told the story of a king who is settling accounts with his servants And one of his servants owed him a ton of money. This guy was drowning in debt, millions of dollars. The king said he was going to throw the servant and his entire family in jail if he didn't pay. Well, that servant begged for patience. And you know what? The king had mercy on him. The king actually forgave his entire debt and set him free. That servant, though, went and found another servant that owed him a relatively small amount of money. 
and he demanded that money back. Well, the second servant also begged for some patience, but the first servant had none with him and threw him in jail until he could pay what was owed. Well, when the king found out what the first servant had done, he said to him, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And then he threw him in jail. Jesus finished this story by saying, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, I know statements like this from Jesus can cause, they can cause a bit of consternation for us. They can cause confusion for us. I mean, is, is God going to withhold forgiveness for me at some point? If I don't forgive somebody from my heart, is he going to throw me in jail in some way? I mean, is God's forgiveness conditional? It's not so much that his forgiveness is conditional, I would say. I, I would think that it's more transformational. When we understand that we are constantly in debt to God, that we can never actually fulfill our obligation to him, that we can never give him all that's due to him, that we're like that servant who owed an astronomical amount of money to the king. But when we also understand that God doesn't hold that over us constantly, that he doesn't require repayment for every little thing or even for the big things, that complete forgiveness is offered to us through Jesus because he is merciful and kind and good. It should change who we are and how we care for others. It's, how, it's part of how we take on the character of God, his mercy, and demonstrate it to other people. How could we not offer forgiveness to others when God has so freely offered it in abundance to, uh, to us? And how can we go back to God and ask for more if we haven't offered it to somebody else? A theologian from the last century said, there is no serious prayer for forgiveness except on the lips of a forgiver. As already mentioned, in 94, there was a terrible act of genocide in Rwanda. Now, the history of that genocide is complicated and nuanced, but basically it's said that the majority Hutu people killed nearly 1 million Tutsi and moderate Hutus in 100 days. Now, I'm going to warn you, some of this is graphic, but most of those killings happened with machetes and blunt instruments. The stories the footage that's out there, the, the photos, the scars that remain are disturbing. In a country that at the time claimed to be 90% Catholic, it was an act of the evil one. Now, one of the sites that I visited in Rwanda is the Niamata Genocide Memorial. It was a church where people in the area fled when the genocide began. Eventually, it was surrounded by the killers and more than 5,000 people died in the church. When you go in there now, the seats and the ground are covered with the blood-stained clothes of those who died. And under the grounds of the church lay the remains of nearly 50,000 people that died in that area. But after all that evil, there are now many, many stories of forgiveness in Rwanda. 
stories that go beyond human ability, but testify to the transformative work of God's forgiveness in their lives. Stories of survivors working alongside those who killed their family members, working together on things like Umuganda. Stories of survivors sharing their bread with those who committed terrible acts, caring for them. Those stories are stories put in, that those kinds of stories put into perspective for me, the kinds of things that I have, uh, I struggle to forgive others for. In this prayer, we are praying, Lord, you have forgiven me in a way that makes it so that I cannot help but forgive other people. Okay, I feel like I've barely touched on all the different things that we could learn from those two verses. Hopefully, we continue to learn from them throughout our lives, but I hope also that I've at least been able to express that the common thread between these two lines is that the Lord's Prayer is one that compels us to care for other people. It's not just about us. As with all scripture, God wants it to affect us, to change us. He wants us to embody this prayer, as John talked about last week with the kingdom. And I think there are several learning points from this section of the prayer. I think about dependence. Do I understand my dependence upon God? Or do I act like I'm self-sufficient? I think about contentedness. Am I satisfied with what God has provided? I think about confession. Do I acknowledge my sin before God? And sometimes do I acknowledge it before others as well? But the two most significant ones in my mind are generosity and forgiveness. And generosity, do you have regular rhythms and avenues for generosity in your life? Now, honestly, generosity is already evident at New Hope. I still am just completely blown away by our Advent offering. You all gave so generously, $57,000 was given. And then there was a really generous matching gift to make it a total of $114,000. That is just incredible. And all of that money will go outside of the church to care for others, to care for our community. Let's keep practicing giving away our extra bread to those who need it today. And then forgiveness. Forgiveness is liberating. In fact, the word for forgive in the Lord's Prayer is aphiomi. And it literally means to release or to let go. You're releasing the other of their debt and you're releasing the anger and the hurt that you hold on to. Not forgiving, um, now, not forgiving most often hurts ourselves more than it hurts the other. Anger and hatred, they, they grow in us as we hold on to that debt that somebody else owes to us. And forgiveness doesn't mean that you have to be in a relationship with someone who's going to hurt you. It doesn't mean there aren't boundaries in place within your relationships. It doesn't mean you ignore your feelings, but it's a recognition that we have been forgiven by God far more than we could ever forgive anyone else. And that we trust him with the outcome of the forgiveness that we offer. 
What debt, what hurt are you holding on to? What forgiveness are you waiting to offer? This prayer that Jesus gave us is so simple, and yet it is so profound. It compels us to care for others. It gives us perspective on who we are, a beloved child of God. And it gives us perspective on who God is, a merciful, loving Father. When we practice these things, we're actually working against the evil one that's mentioned in the next verse. He wants nothing more than to diminish our trust in God, to reduce our care for others, and to cause division amongst us. I think he's active in our society today. There is plenty of division out there. Let's not let him have a foothold in those areas in our life or in our church community. Let's continue daily to seek God in prayer using this model that Jesus gave us as the foundation for what we pray. Please join me in prayer. Our loving God, you are so good and merciful to us. I thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. I thank you, God, that you provide our needs. You provide our daily bread. I pray, God, that you would work in us the character of your son, Jesus, that you would form us into his image to be generous, to be forgiving, to depend on you every day. May you be worshiped in all of that. We love you. Amen.